there and welcome to the 9 o'clock show weekly podcast. It's a compilation of our best interviews from the past week. Galway man Martin McGlynn tells us why DIY is for everyone. Living with sight loss, former footballer Michael Owen and his son James on their new documentary Football is for Everyone. A community support programme working hand in hand with parents of preschool children. And Alex Kelly was inspired to set up her business despite the big challenges in her life. On Friday's show, Susan McCann joined me in the studio as she hits the road again. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy it. Now, if you're in the kitchen, have a look around. Are there little jobs to be done? Is a little handle falling off? You know those awkward hinges, are they falling off the door? Or is there a flat pack that you bought in one of the shops, multiple shops that sells flat packs? And are you resting your clothes on it? Are the kids putting their football boots in it? Is it sitting in the corner? But you know what you, who you might need? And he's on the line from Galway now, from East Galway, actually. Martin Glynn, good morning. Morning, Shay. Thanks for having me. I think we need you in, in my house and other houses around the place because you are a DIY expert. Well, to be honest, that sounded very like my house not that long ago as well. It's a, a tradesman's house is the last house to get done, they say. As a cobbler's shoes, isn't that what they say? Same, <laughs> same thing. You decided to start your own DIY academy. So tell us how that came about. Back during the lockdowns, I finally had time to do all these little jobs that you spoke about there a minute ago and uh, around around the house. And I actually found the lockdowns pretty uh, enjoyable. The first two anyway, the third one, I kind of got a bit old, I have to be honest. And I found I could see a lot of um, people struggling with the, with the lockdown. So... I kind of paired it back to where this is, where, how the, how people are struggling, and I'm actually I wouldn't say enjoying it, but I didn't mind the lockdowns as much. I got to spend time with my kids and uh, and wife, which was fantastic. I just thought that people were idle, and I just didn't have a minute to myself when I was uh, <laughs> when I had all these little jobs to do. It started coming into my head then that um, if we just if people just knew the the basic skills, it encompasses an awful lot of uh, of what you can do around your house, especially. And uh, once you can do a bit of DIY, you're probably never going to be idle. And that's where it kind of um, originated, I suppose. You're like Delia Smith teaching people how to cook eggs because the <laughs> basics are very important. We have to be very clear at the start. You are a carpenter by trade. So yeah, this, is, I, this is your job. Yeah, so <laughs> I, uh, I went, went straight into carpentry after after um, school back a long time ago, about 1998. And yeah, I lived in America and uh, had, a, have, had great fun with it. It's great to have in the in, in the locker to, to get to travel and there's a lot of uh, big advantages to it, a lot of freedom with it. Well, it's, it's a kind of trade and I, I was a painter and decorator myself, but... but with carpentry you can either be you can be a joiner you can work in a workshop you can be out on site you can work with builders doing shuttering carpentry where you're you're making molds for concrete there's so many different things to carpentry yeah, there is, and that's uh, that's where um, where we were looking at as well because it goes in so many different directions. People just think that uh, carpenter is a carpenter, but um, there's so many different facets to it. And um, yeah, that was something we were looking at as well and trying to um, uh, figure out how to help people in that area because you could be ringing somebody to fix a kitchen and they might might not be um, strong in that area. You know, there could be a shuttering carpenter, for example. So a lot of people just think it's just a carpenter is a carpenter, but there's a lot of different areas to which you're, you're, you're right there. So tell us about the DIY, online DIY Academy. Yeah, so, well, for the last year, it's actually just coming up in a year now, we've been doing live courses all over Galway and in-person courses where uh, just teaching them the basics. The first couple of weeks of it is all household DIY, the stuff that they can implement as soon as they get home, like, um, as you were saying, these kitchen doors, damaged walls, hanging pictures, shelving, stuff like that. And uh, then the second half of it, as I said, uh, I'm a carpenter, so I love kind of working with wood and reclaimed wood especially. So we kind of do get into a bit of the creative side of it and make stuff with pallets and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. What's the the breakdown of the people on the courses in terms of um, numbers of uh, genders, men, women, etc.? Uh, we were kind of surprised by that, to be honest. We thought it was going to be all men uh, that, that would have taken it up, but uh, it's been predominantly female, to be honest, and which is surprisingly 
much better crack and I'd say the lads that do the course aren't good crack but uh, they find it harder to let the guard down whereas um, the women doing the course are just delighted to do to do something like this because I suppose in school they never had the practical subjects we had so they're really um, excited by, by using a drill and this uh, these um, skills that they're picking up and they're pure messers to be honest so the crack, the crack of the classes is very good I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> but do you, do you see people progressing week by week? I mean, can anybody can anybody do this? Can anybody p- learn to do something in the house? Yes, uh, we've been doing it in schools now as well with TY classes and we've been working with the East Galway Family Services in Ballyban there. We're hoping to bring it to a whole new demographic there for maybe young lads that are struggling in school and maybe it's not for them and just show them there's a new avenue that uh, that we can uh, can ease them into and show them different different mm. world of apprenticeships, which is important oh. because I suppose, look, at if school isn't for you, it can be kind of scary and you think that's the only avenue for you at that age. And uh, so we want to show them something else and show them that there's a whole new world there. Listen, we went out to dinner the other night with a few friends of mine and the richest person at the table was a plumber. So <laughs> there you go. Don't mind the IT consultant, the richest fellow at the table. But it doesn't matter. And, and just not to get, it's a whole different subject, but apprenticeships, they are available. They're really important. There's a huge demand for apprentices. There's some apprenticeships are not like when I was out and about and they were making you boil water in a can on a wood fire out in the in a building side of houses with no electricity. These, you know, got a college. It's very well regulated now. So anybody listening this morning and their daughter or son or whoever is thinking of an apprenticeship, please be very positive about it because it's brilliant. It's a brilliant pathway. And this is something and you can even have your own online DIY academy as well. What are, what are the things that people want to learn when they come to you? The, the vastness of the, of the projects that people want to take on but just can't make that start They're just the fear of making that start it's been attics oh, there's everything um, people sliding doors the vastness of it is, is incredible and what people really want to try but can't get that that uh, start and that's the most important part because as I always say to them look at the part of the project that's stopping you if you get started once you get there you'll have it figured out by then but people seem to think they need to know every single step of the way before they get started which isn't the case that isn't even the case for me when I'm taking on projects I kind of have a fair idea what I'm doing most of the time but there's always something there that uh, that you'd be kind of thinking Jeez, what, what what do I do here now when I get to this? But make the start. I keep tell, keep telling people just make the start. Back yourself, and uh, you'd be surprised. A lot of this uh, comes down to using the correct products and using the correct tools. So during the the online course, which has just been launched today, um, we do we have a video, a practical video every week, uh, a, a video on it on a product every week, and the, and the same week, and then a, pro, a video of a tool. So we kind of break it down uh, slowly, further in bite sized chunks that they can they can slowly gain that confidence to start these projects because um, you'd be you'd be surprised how much you're you're able to do but if you don't start you you, you have no hope you know I'm just thinking you know you were saying start the project and then we're not talking about now knocking a hole in the wall to pull a door in and without thinking about how you support it etc we're talking about start small yeah so it's beginner course so like we're we're looking at getting the small jobs done first and uh, there's plenty of them around the place and look at that grows confidence so look at hang that picture fix that uh, damaged piece of wall paint that wall whatever it may be but uh, just kind of because as the journey goes on you'll gain that little bit more confidence and um, I wouldn't say the word be underwhelmed by how easy it is but if you're using the right stuff and feel a bit more confident um, you'd be surprised what you're capable of and um, another part of it too is, is the fear of going into our builders providers or our hardware shops um, and asking for help you know, th- these guys are very they're willing to help us so make sure and get in there familiarise yourself with, uh, with these people and you don't have to know exactly what you need going in there 
um, ask them, tell them the project you're doing, and uh, they'll probably give you a couple of solutions for it. To be now, honest, I, I need to I need to clarify something for you. Um, I don't know. You're based in East Galway. I've been to some builders providers in my time, and. Their, their nightmare is at half nine in the morning when everybody's in with the vans that you're up there going, listen, I have this floor. They're like, what do you need? <laughs> what do you need? So it's not, it's not a, you're making it out to be very fluffy and friendly and it can be kill or be killed in those queues sometimes. And then, yeah, you're given, then you're given a docket and then you've got to face the fellas in the warehouse who are zooming around in forklift trucks at 40 miles an hour and you have to hand the docket to them and then they look at you and go, Ugh while over there and then they might come back and they say where's your car and you go it's all the way down the car park well bring it up yeah anyway sorry I think I might have some post-traumatic stress from having spent too much time in builders providers over the years but you're right there are some nice very nice people working behind the counters in builders yeah. providers who would give you some advice yeah, exactly. When you familiarise yourself with them, like you know what I mean, they'll, uh, they'll get to know you, and you know they're actually really good characters behind them counters. And uh, before you know it, uh, you'll be you'll be one of the one of their own. And uh, you know, but uh, you all have the same again. You have to get started. Have to get in there, meet them, and maybe pick your timing. Uh, avoid, avoid early in the morning when the, when the, the vans are in there. <laughs> There's a text in asking what basic set of tools should every house have. Well, the most important thing is with tools. A lot of people probably have them already. You know, they probably pick them up over the years and never use them. But the important thing with tools is you mine them and put them in a place where you know where they are when you need them. Because a lot of the time, people have, oh, I, I know I have that. I know appliers and it's there somewhere. I go looking for it. You have an hour wasted there. So you have to value your time. So make sure whatever tools you have, get them together and make sure they're where you know they are. And uh, so you can put your hand to them when you need them. Look at it, there's different levels in this, you know, you get away with an awful lot with just uh, basic hand tools. Yeah, I know in, in our house, my dad as, was a painter and decorator, uh, unfortunately passed now, but uh, the favourite tool for changing plugs was a, a butter knife. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for filling walls maybe a butter knife was very very handy as well so you could do anything with it. you're like MacGyver you could do anything uh, with a butter knife uh, Michael says that the ch- uh, chain tool changing of life or change of life tool for him was an impact driver what's an impact driver? Oh yes uh, <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me <laughs> That's like we just gave you a Rolls Royce It's like know, Ah yeah. yes The impact driver Tell us about the impact driver Trades been all over the country Going oh yes but, uh, <laughs> Now an impact driver Is essentially like a, sc- a Screwdriver Electric screwdriver That is impacts As it uh, as it puts the screw in for you So um, yeah a Very special tool In the toolbox For, for all tradesmen And it's only come out In the last couple of years I know you have You have your battery drill which uh, which will do the same thing but um, yeah everyone loves the impact driver for some reason So when you've got long um, wooden screws particularly yeah. with maybe with, with a, that uh, hexagonal head on it like it's very hard to drive those with a, a, a drill this vibrates the it in is it? Yeah, it's, it's essentially like, you, you, did you ever see in Formula One when um, they change the tyres, that kind of, that noise, that brr, brr, you know, yeah. it, it kind of impacts as, as it uh, puts the screw in. So, yeah, I'm not exactly sure what it does, to be honest, but it just does something to us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and are you a fan of the battery tools? Yeah, well, like the building sites have gone to the stage now where using electrical power is a bit more difficult. And to be honest, battery tools have got so good recently that there's no real need for, for electric on, on site. And the the price of tools has come down massively over the last couple of years, which is fantastic as well. It's a massive advantage to us. So if you um, had like your drill, you know, to start off, a drill is all you need really in, in, in that area. You don't need to have chop saws, all this kind of stuff. You know, when you go onto YouTube, you see that they've all these crazy tools, which I wouldn't even have a lot of 
them. But just the basics, like a half decent drill, which you could probably have in the shed already, and I just were afraid to take it out of the box. Yeah, look at it. Uh, the battery tools have really come on in the last couple of years. I remember when they came out first, and they were very weak, and you know they probably weren't worth uh, worth their salt to be honest. But nowadays they're fantastic. We're getting a lot of texts in about walls. I have powdery walls. I have hollow walls. What kind of you know asking asking you questions about fixtures? Are you are, do you do any lessons on walls on how to put things, how to hang yeah, things on them? Yeah, that's the first week of the course. To be honest, that's that's the sequence which we teach it is is important. So the first thing we do is identify the walls we have in our house and how to attach to them. And uh, so we show them uh, like most of the time there's only two walls here in Ireland. So and when you know what to use, so you've either a block wall or a stud wall. And a stud wall would be kind of a partition wall, I suppose, would be another name for it. And uh, when you can identify where these this piece of timber are in behind your wall it makes life so much easier so we just show you how to identify where they are and how to attach to it and that that covers an awful lot when it comes to hanging pictures hanging shelves if you know how to attach properly like there's a lot of houses I go into and you see stuff hanging off a piece of plasterboard and you know it's going to come off fairly soon but a few small things like that that's the kind of stage one of, of the course and then we show people how to fix mistakes then almost immediately because once you know how to fix mistakes, which we all make, it uh, gives you the confidence to push forward and uh, and tackle these these projects. There's loads of texts coming in asking you questions, so I can't get through all of them. But one of them is, uh, speaking of walls, I have dry, powdery, poured concrete walls in an old council house. Can't get anything into them. Yeah, well, look at you're probably looking at a masonry bit there. I don't want to go too deep into this, but uh, a masonry bit with a roll plug, like roll plugs around longer than us. So um, very simple fix. And again, it's down to the right tools. It's um, the older the house, you know, it could be a stone wall. You're going back a long time there, but most most of your walls are block walls. Your external walls be block, and then your internal walls upstairs, especially, be a stud wall. So that's something we kind of go through first, get people, um, and especially when each week when we when we do our classes, we they can go home and implement these skills straight away in their own houses. So it's important for them to learn this stuff at the start. So in-person classes, there are they in your Portumna direction? Are you? Yeah, so we have a full. Uh, Batch them starting again this week. We have Oran Moore on Tuesday, Portumna on Wednesday, and Westside Knocknacara on Thursday. So it's all kicking off this week, and we have our <laughs> online course starting today as well. So it's uh, a busy, busy time. Claire says, I went to hang a picture and I hit electrical cable. Actually, some oh, safety is something we need to talk about probably before we get all the texts in that we haven't mentioned safety. Then I had the cost of electricians, says Claire, but that's easily avoidable. Yeah, well, you've you've everyone scared of the chainsaw story a few minutes ago, so it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. No, no, it is true. Um, the the main thing is with the uh, with electrical. So if you if you look at your wall, so directly above and direct or directly below your wall, your sockets or your light switches, there's a wire. So don't take the risk. Say, look, I've probably gone up there, so I can drill underneath it. Don't don't ever just go either side of your switches or your your plugs or your light switches, and you should be safe enough. You can also buy quite cheaply a detector that will let you know if there's an electrical yes, cable. Yes. They're very, very cheap, like 20 euro, I think. And there's another one for a stud detector. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Not yeah. what it sounds like if you don't know what we're talking about building-wise. Get some me- coppers. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. My husband, is fanta- <laughs> My husband is fantastic at DIY and our three children, two boys and a girl, all inherited without any training. I'm amazed. One daughter brings drills home on the tube in London to set up her bed DIY style. Isn't that great? I, mean, yeah, that's I, have two, I have two daughters myself they're seven and nine and they love it uh, Ruby and Mila so they're uh, well able for it so it's, there's no there's no reason why we shouldn't be 
big shout out to Ruby and Mila who have their own contracting company in Port Thomas. So if you need anything, don't give them a shout. The big question for me, this is a big question now, is how to get a shelf straight. I never seem to be able to get it right. It's complicated, like, it's complicated yeah. enough now. Well, like, if you think about level lines in your house, so this, we, we have a spirit level, but not everybody would have a spirit level, or especially not a laser level in their house. But your ceilings are usually perfectly straight, perfectly level. So if you measure down from your ceiling the same distance both sides, it'll give you a perfectly level line. Does that make sense? That makes absolute sense. Yeah, so you can measure up from the floor as well, I'm sure, but floors are, would be 99% level, I suppose, but ceilings are always very, very level. So if it comes to putting up curtain poles, for example, uh, shelves especially, measure down from your ceiling. Instead. Don't, you, you don't need to go into and buy a, a level for yourself. You know, you can uh, have all these little tricks that, uh, that'll help you. Oh, but lads, you said laser there earlier, and I, I'd say all the, the ears perked up. We'd look Formula <laughs> One impact drivers and lasers. Actually, a laser level is essentially it's just a light that spins around, and it'll some, most of them are self-leveling. It'll level, yeah. and then it'll as it as it as it skims by the wall, as it, the light goes around the wall, you'll be able to mark where you want to make sure it's level. So they're they're and again, if you're going to do a lot of work in the house, they're really worth it. If you're hanging cupboards or something like that in the kitchen, they can be they can be very useful. Yeah, very much so. And um, but look, at not essential. There's a lot of little tricks to trade that uh, that we like to share and show people what they what they can. They can be resourceful in, in their in their own home rather than going out and spending big money on, on tools. Listen, hang on, Martin, I have to interrupt you there. There's people listening to this who've told their partners that they have to have that tool and that they went <laughs> I, out and bought I don't it. Mind. They went to the centre aisle of the supermarket because it was in the magazine and they bought it and now you're ruining their lives. Um, but you mentioned re- uh, reusing wood. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I loved it, uh, working with pallets and, uh, and reclaimed wood. So it's, uh, I love making stuff from, because like, the, the woods, uh, wood we have in a pallet is actually really good and strong even though it's in pallet form when you take it apart it's a really good material to work with and uh, if you want to make stuff outside as well it's really well treated that it'll last the test of time it's very um, user friendly once you once you get pallets apart you can make furniture for outside you can do so much with it there's a bit of work in breaking down the pallets isn't there you've, you yeah, so make sure you had a bad day and then uh, before you go breaking down your pallet and you'll fly through it. <laughs> in fact, there are companies now that make cushions specifically for yes. pallet furniture. So you can actually go online and put in pallet cushion and it'll come up and it'll fit. This, I think there's generally two sizes of pallets. There's a Euro pallet and there's a standard pallet that we'd be familiar with. Euro ones fit between the arches of a, a transit van and the, there's a slightly bigger one. But you can buy cushions to actually fit those. Yeah, and there's so much stuff there on on, uh, on YouTube and stuff that you can watch and make this stuff. And like I, I love all, all that stuff, but unfortunately, people um, who don't have the, the initial skills, the beginner skills, they they love what they love to be able to do this, but will never make that jump. So that's why it's important to kind of learn learn a few skills initially, and then once you have that confidence, instead of watching these videos on YouTube, you can actually you know what I know how to make that, and uh, I can give that a go. And uh, that's what I always say: give it a go. You have, you have nothing to lose. It's not uh, it's not the end of the world if things go wrong. It's um, well worth having a crack at it. I've just finished a course with Martin, had no idea of power tools, etc. Really learned a lot. Genuinely a very enjoyable and practical course. And I have to say, he has the patience of a saint. <laughs> Is that true? I have to say, I'm really enjoying the courses and uh, you, you don't need patience. It's, it's, we're having, as I said, it, it is uh, a lot of the courses are, are female and they're pure messers. And like uh, the fun we've been having has been has been fantastic. It's something I didn't didn't think about. I thought it was going to be very serious and uh, everything's going to be DIY. And but no, we've been having great fun. And uh, as I said, they've they've been fantastic and they're they're well able to do it. Everyone that's that's gone through the course so far in the last year has. Uh, 
has um, has definitely picked up the skills and is because uh, we share we're all in these groups now and we share pictures of the projects they're doing and like I'm surprised by by some of them to be honest I'm going to go and do that seemed like a lot to, a big big bit to bite off but they're no problem once they get started they're fine. Well, I have to say, you're very encouraging, and, and uh, I'm, I'm looking at some uh, Instagram stuff of you as well. So, and, and there's some amazing projects there on Instagram. Yeah, so we're we're on the social pages there, uh, Instagram and Facebook. So you can um, you can give a look at there's a lot of them tips I spoke about on there. We try to get, share them as much as we can, and then we have our our website, the DIYAcademy.ie, and I've been told to say the DIY Academy because of my Galway accent is T H E DIY Academy. <laughs> so Worry about that? Yeah, that's, maybe that's the way it's supposed to be said. Yeah, duh. I think, I think Shakespeare had a Dublin accent anyway, so don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah so it's uh, the DIY Academy. <laughs> and you can see everything on there as well. So it's not D, it's D. I'm just writing that down. T-H-E. Yeah. Oh, You're very good. Martin, I love talking to you. No and problem. Thanks for having me, Shane. Not at all. And brilliant. And I encourage everybody to go online. So Martin Glynn talking to us from Learport Tumnal this morning. Have a lovely day. Now, you may not have heard of Starsgard disease, but it's a, a disease that affects the eyes. And there are a number of people in Ireland who have the condition. Um, recently, Michael Owen, footballer, international footballer, Liverpool, Real Madrid, Manchester United, England, of course, came out in 2019 and spoke about for the first time that his son, James, has the condition. And both of them are on the line this morning. Good morning, Michael and James. Hey, good morning. Great to have you on the line and thank you very much for joining us. I know you're very busy. You're probably somewhere where there are horses, I would imagine, Michael, because you're a big yeah. horse. <laughs> you're a big fan of, big fan of the horses and... And you have your own breeding and stud farm and uh, racehorse training facility as well. But that's not what we're here to talk to you about this morning as well. We're here to uh, to talk about James' condition. Actually, would you put me on to James there for a second, Michael, if you wouldn't mind? Yeah, there's James. Hello. James, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you this morning? I'm great, thank you. Well, you're, you're um, How about yourself? Yeah, you know, we're pretty good. The weather here is a little bit cold, but it's not. we're having better weather than you're having over there at the moment. Yeah, so, same, same. So we'll, we'll, we'll take that. Look, thanks for taking the time to join us this morning and talk about your condition. Can you explain a little bit about, about the condition itself? Well, I got diagnosed when I was in um, lower years of school. And obviously, it was so long ago, I can't remember actually getting diagnosed, but I can remember how I felt during that period of time. And it was it was quite hard for me because obviously I couldn't do a lot of the things which I wanted to do in the future, like drive and all stuff like that. And also um, I liked playing football at that time. So I kind of put a bit of a halt on that in the future, but my family was very supportive of it. Can you explain the condition to us a little bit? Because many people wouldn't have heard of Starsgard disease. They may have heard of macular degeneration and it affects a similar part of the eye. But can you tell us what the condition is, what causes it and what the ramifications are for you? Um, Stargardt's is a eye condition which deteriorates over time and it um, affects the central vision of an eyesight um, but the peripheral normally stays the same. Obviously I've been having it since I was born so um, I don't know what to compare it to but apparently it's um, more blurry and I know I've got some blind spots but it's I get asked that question all the time I just don't really know how to answer it that's all. Yeah. Yeah, because you you haven't you've got like a reference point for it. Um, I know with macular yeah, degeneration, exactly. for people uh, maybe they would explain macular degeneration as having uh, peripheral vision that they can see out of the side. So people you see people turning their heads a little bit to look to look at you at the side. But but I understand, and that's a that's a great point to make that you don't have a reference for it. You're a pretty handy footballer, I believe. Um, used to be, yeah. Um, I've not really been playing as much now. The last time I played was when we were filming for a documentary. Um, but before then, I've not been playing since early years of high school, I think. So it's been quite a while. I'm probably very rusty. 
<laughs> I haven't seen the footage from the documentary, but I, I believe you play a bit in the documentary and you're pretty handy. So, but it must... It, I do, yeah. Yeah, and, and look, you're, you're from a footballing family, an equine family and a footballing family. So the pressure must come on you as well. People asking that question since you were a little boy as well. Are you going to follow in dad's footsteps? Yeah, I mean, that was definitely my dream when I was a lot younger. Um, and I still do get asked that question to this day. And it's um, to a lot of people, it's they don't realise that I've got an eye condition and to play mainstream football would be close to impossible. Yeah, it's normally a bit of a, like an awkward conversation with um, a lot of people asking, but yeah, there's normally quite a lot of pressure um, from outside of the family, but my dad's very um, supportive and he's like, understanding and he never would like force you into anything. The documentary is called Football for Everyone and it'll be shown on TNT Sports, which is formerly BT Sports, on Tuesday, January 30th. But I believe there are scenes of you playing football there. It's a particular type of football for people who are sighted, partially sighted or have visual impairment. Yes, there is. It's um, called futsal. It's visually impaired um, football in in a way. It's um, for a lot of people. Some people believe that futsal is played with blindfolds on and with a bell and a ball, but it's not actually the case. The standard's very high and it, it's just like five-side football, really. Very fast-paced and the, um, the quality of the players was actually really breathtaking because I never heard of it until the documentary approached. So um, I had no idea like the standards would be so good. And I, um, I played for him, yeah, and um, hopefully this isn't a spoiler, but I scored in the documentary. So <laughs> It's not a spoiler, man. If you've scored a goal in the match, no matter what match it is, you've got to say you scored it. So, no, I'm delighted to hear that you, that you scored. Um, well, can you tell us the differences then, say, when you played football when you were in school to playing that game? Just for people who maybe are visually impaired this morning, we have Vision Sports Ireland who do something similar here. Um, but could you just tell us how the game is played? Well, it's, it's five aside. The goalkeeper can be completely fully sighted but it can't leave the D it's very fast paced and the ball is it's slightly heavier so it doesn't bounce as high and um, should I pass it on to my dad because I'm I honestly don't know that many other rules <laughs> <laughs> so your dad doesn't know the rules either but pass me on to him anyway Hey, you all right? Hey, Michael, how are you? Yeah, we're just, talk, we're just, we're just <laughs> talking to, to, uh, to James about the, the actual game itself. Just for people, you might explain, um, the rules are slightly different. The, the, so the goalkeeper could be visually uh, unimpaired as such. He can be fully sighted, but he can't leave the D. And the ball's a bit heavier. Any other rules? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's, uh, it's, it's normally played indoors. Um, and the goals are probably the size of hockey goals, same similar shape and size. There are one or two unique rules. You can have fly goalkeepers, you know, if you're, if you're losing, um, then the, the, the manager might want to put an outfield player on. So basically you've got five outfield players and nobody in goal. You lose the ball and you're in trouble, though, because they just <laughs> knock it into an empty net. So that's normally one of the, uh, the, the last resort rules. Um, but no, there's four outfield players, and it's it's basically football at all intents and purposes. Yeah. Same rules in terms of, of um, you know fouls and, and and all the rest of it. And yeah, we've had a, an amazing time following the the uh, the England team into the World Cup. Um, there was a home World Cup actually, um, which features in the documentary. And the skill levels were actually incredible, as James said. Um, people would say, oh, think partially sighted people um, playing a slightly different game of football, but you know, a, a Premier League player would would you know would not struggle, but they would be right at the, the the top of their concentration levels to compete with these guys. I mean, it's seriously high standard stuff. Speaking to you as a as a dad, Michael, obviously James um, 
decided to give up football, which was a difficult decision for him. And I'm sure for you to see him not playing the game that he loved, but it must have been quite emotional to see him play again. Yeah, in a way, um, in a way it was. I'm obviously James, um, like with a lot of kids, really, if, if they if they can't do something um, well or they're not enjoying it or, or whatever it might be, a lot of these things don't happen overnight. It was a gradual process. So when James was really young, I you know, said to my dad, I said to my wife, this kid's got some real ability. He could be a footballer one day. Uh, he had a great touch and he was really well balanced and quick and beat people. And he was just, you know, really showing promise. But he was doing a lot of things in the game where I just couldn't understand why he'd be standing in a certain position and not shuffling over when a ball moved and, and just a lot of positional sort of deficiencies in his game. And I kept saying to him, like, well, you know, when the ball goes over to the right back, why don't you do this and why don't you do that? And and he was sort of, oh, I'll, I'll, you know, he, he was always desperate to, to learn and desperate to, to, to try and, and whatever, but he just wasn't grasping it. And uh, and over a little period of time, that's when we found out that actually he was struggling to see the, the board at school, struggling to see an awful lot of other things. And that's when, obviously, we started doing some investigation type of stuff and uh, and found out that he, he had Stargardt's. I just want to ask James, you got a pa- we only got one phone between you, things are bad. <laughs> Would you pass the yeah, phone back to James? Yeah, absolutely, I'll pass you back on. <laughs> so James, obviously we were talking to your dad there about your footballing career and obviously I mentioned that the pressure that you'd be under with your dad being Michael Owen, that you you know you should be become a footballer. And we've seen that with other uh, families of footballers as well. Look, you, 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 your football is not for you and you've, you've, you've decided that. Um, you're 17 now, I know you're doing a course in business studies or you've done a course in business studies. Um, like, What plans are you trying to make for the future? I know you're an ambassador and you're, you're very you're, the reason you made this documentary is to bring awareness to your condition and to other vis- people with visual impairment but what, what's your plan now what, or do you have a plan? Yeah well it's, it's a bit of a loose plan I don't think I'm going to go further into education I'm nearly done with college now I'm finishing in March so that'll be quite exciting I want to have my own business in the future I want to be able to provide for my future wife and kids and give them a good life with my own business so that's that's the end goal. How I get there, I don't. I don't really know. But yeah, but yeah, in, the, in the meantime, like you've got to go on holiday with your friends, and you've got to, you know, you've got to do all that stuff as well. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm planning on going on holiday with, with my girlfriend at some point, but. Did you yeah, did you enjoy? I, 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 I've got the feeling from you from the interviews that you did that you kind of enjoyed the, the process of making the documentary. Oh yeah, it was. Um, it was. It was great. It's really taught me how to do a lot of things. It definitely made me grow as a person. Because um, I don't know if you've seen the documentary yet, but it's um, I'm actually only 15 when it starts because that was during COVID, so it's pushed a lot of the time back. So it's um, I definitely look and sound a lot different than I do now. It's it's definitely built me as a person, and it's it, the whole experience has been great. I've met like a lot of new people, made a lot of friends, and um, yeah, enjoyed playing football. Yeah. So will you will you keep up the the football? Do you think now? Will you keep up the with the team? If they're playing, I would watch them, but. I'm I'm not good enough to play with them, um, and I and I don't I don't think I'm gonna um, train anymore. To be honest, okay. I want to just focus on business. <clears throat> there you go. You got your head screwed on. I can tell you. So you're 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 ready to go. Do you want to pass me back to Dad for a minute? I will do. Hello. Thank you, Michael. And look, can I just say thanks for coming on and talking about it? I know that your your family. Well, look, you know, you're, you're, you've been out in the, in the press and your family have been have been out in the press saying how supportive they are of James as well. And is, is one of your daughters an ambassador for Sightsavers? Or Fight yeah, for Sight, sorry, right, Fight for eldest. Sight. 
Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. My my eldest uh, Gemma is uh, is is obviously part of that um, fight for sight campaign charity etc. So she's an ambassador for it as well. So it's obviously affected the family in, in many ways, but we don't let it affect us. I mean, obviously it's made news in recent times because of the the documentary that we've filmed on TNT Sport. But but in general, this is something that we've lived with for for nearly eighteen years now, and and we just adapt as a family, and and it doesn't feel like. You know, anything's different. James just feels totally normal to, to us because we believe he is, and, and uh, it's something that we really ought to yeah. to put it there in the in the public eye because it's uh, losing your sight is is uh, something that some of us would uh, couldn't really bear the thought of, I guess. It's lovely to hear how proud you are of him. Do you with with, with the horse racing side of things? I know you're you're big into the into the equine side of things. Your wife is a uh, it was her side of the sports when you came together. Um, do you get over to Ireland much? I do, I do. Actually, <laughs> tomorrow <laughs> I'm going over um, to uh, to visit. Uh, so yeah, I do. I I buy a lot of our our horses from out there. We we sometimes race our horses out in Ireland. So Ireland is obviously a huge um, place when it when it comes to thoroughbreds. So yeah, I spend a fair bit of time, and and that business is growing. It's uh, my pride and joy. And yeah, we're up to about 130 odd horses now training in training. So we're looking forward to the flat season ahead. Well, look, Michael and James, thank you for taking the time to join us this morning. I know you're very busy. And James, thank you for being so candid about your condition. I think it'll, people listening will be, uh, be able to identify with us. That's Michael and James Owen joining us on the line this morning. Now, somewhere in Chicago, parents and children are learning parenting skills from a programme that started out here in Ireland. Preparing for Life began in the very unique Darndale in Dublin in 2007, helping to build parents' confidence and get children from infancy to school. Well, we wanted to find out more, so I'm delighted to welcome Sue Cullen into studio this morning. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. How Take a you? breath there, because you literally just landed. <laughs> I literally did. You literally just landed in the chair. I hear by that accent. Where is that accent from? Uh, Liverpool. And you're wearing red. <laughs> I am. Is that it's a red. sign? <laughs> it could be. You're not blue. Well, it's not Christmas anymore, so <laughs> now I am definitely not a blue. I'd be killed. It's great to have you, and thank you for taking the time to come in. Thank um, you. We read with real interest that this um, programme has been taken up by the US Department of Health and Human Services and recognised for its unique approach. So we'll get to all of that later, a little bit later. But tell us, the, the programme is called Preparing for Life. So we don't know anything about it. So tell us about it. Where, where did it start? How did it start? So Preparing for Life is an early intervention prevention programme. We work with the expectant parent and any significant other that's involved in a child's life right through until a child starts school. So it's a five-year programme um, and I suppose our ultimate goal was to improve school readiness. That's what our intention is and was. So I suppose it started back in... Um, by a group, I suppose, from the experience of Neil, Neil Kelly. He was a guy from the local area. He was a teacher. He was would have been the original programme manager, preparing for life programme manager. And before then, he was working in the local area in the school and he could see these children come through the school gates who just didn't meet their basic milestones. So we know when children are not meeting the basic milestones in terms of really supporting them to participate and engage in education, then that can bring them a life of complexity in other issues in terms of their peer relationships, their cognitive development, their physical health. So he looked around the area and there was many services that was, the the area is saturated with services, amazing services, but no one was ever able to break the cycle of intergenerational um, complexity. So he sat down with these services and 
they looked at really sort of conducting a survey to really explore what could they do. Uh, and I suppose the, they knew they had to do something that involved getting to the child before the child got into court come into the world. So um, they worked together with the local stakeholders and they conducted the survey back in 2004 and they conducted that with parents, teachers and the children. And what it showed us was 50% of those children weren't actually ready for school. So we knew something had to change and that's when we were, we then applied for funding through philanthropies and the Irish government um, to see if they could really support um, support preparing for life. So, so this this topic and these organisations, some of them are quite complex partnerships. I know the Northside Partnership, which is a brilliant Absolutely. operation, is involved in, is the kind of the umbrella body above this. And as you say, the number of schemes, there's lots of acronyms and funding models and all of those, but I, I kind of, so there's integration, uh, intergenerational complexity. What's, yeah. what's that? So there's lots of things that our families have experienced and continue to experience. And I suppose complexity has just grew over time. So homelessness is a is a chronic problem that our families are faced with. Overcrowding, couch surfing, living in B&Bs, um, being kicked out of B&Bs and walking the streets, um, drug Drug and alcohol is a huge problem. Addiction issues are... Yeah, absolutely. Mental health is a huge issue. We're seeing growing concerns around perinatal mental health, parent isolation. The list goes on and on. Um, So I suppose we are there to try and support parents to navigate their way through those complexities. And different types of families, I think, is one thing we need to say. There's a, tr- a vision outside that might have a traditional family, and but, but there are many types of families. Many types of very happy, functional families that sometimes just need a little bit of help. Absolutely. And I suppose the beauty of Preparing for Life is we adopt a universal progressive approach. So anyone who's living in a catchment area, any of our catchment areas, so we've nine sites right across Ireland. So anyone is living in a catchment area and is pregnant can avail of the programme. Do you have the list? I do indeed. So we have Dublin 17, we work in Darndale, Belcamp, Balgriffin, Clonshock, Mowview, Priorswood, in Greencastle, Kilmore, Clongriffin. So all that area, but outside oh, of Dublin? So Finglas, Bray, Newbridge, yeah. Athai, um, Balbriggan, Bagnallstown, Carlow Town, Tullow, Bal- um, Ballonslow and also Mayo. Okay, so you're in Carlow, you're in Wicklow, you've, you've killed yeah. there, you've travelled, you'll travel yeah, out and, and more expansion expected. Yeah, well, do you know what? I suppose we work in partnership with communities because they know their community is best. We know we're the experts of our programme, but we like to create um, an action plan together to meet those needs. So whoever is interested in preparing for for the right reasons, then we're happy to have those conversations. And people who don't know Darndale, this is where this started. Um, Darndale was a planned community built, well, envisaged in the 60s and built in the 70s. It was based on a... a, a, The architectural model was based on an estate in Hampshire in, in England. Now, it's important to say that that architectural model was never repeated again in Ireland because it was a failed architectural model and later changes were modified. And this was a, a it was supposed to be communities grouped in courtyards named after flowers because Darndale is the Irish for daffodil, I think. And so that's why you have Buttercup and Marigold and Primrose yeah. and Snowdrop. It's a unique community and it really is a community, is a very unique. tight-knit community. Yeah. And I'm from that area. I know Darndale well and, yeah. and cycled those streets many, many times and those little pathways all around. So it was a warren of pathways and courtyards, which later had to be changed. But as you say, there is a number of community, fabulous community mm. uh, supports there. The New Life Centre is there. Oh, Jigsaw right there, the Northside yeah. Partnership. And, and this was probably one of the best places that this could start and then spread. So tell us about when you... A little bit about yourself. How did you land there? 
So how I landed there, um, so my background was youth and community and I suppose when I was working, I was working, I suppose my job involved really identifying the needs for youth provision within the inner cities, so working with residence committees. Um, so I always felt like I was only literally scratching the surface. Um, so I could see the kids coming in and I knew and I'd heard, learned that some of the kids would end up behind bars. Um, and it was disappointing to think that we could actually do more for these children because you were getting some of the kids with age, anything from 8 to 16 um, was the catchment I, catchment I was working with. Um, whereas when I seen this come up, I was like, oh my God, this is an opportunity to get to the baby and the, work with the parents before... Uh, to work with them if they'd experience any level of disadvantage and issues um, to try and prevent those things from happening. So, yeah, so I applied for it. I love the idea that we got to work five years with families because a lot of the time I was working in the youth service, it was short-term intervention, whereas we got the time to spend with families, to build rapport with families, to see families for their amazingness. So not even them as parents, but seeing them for who... Um, shares, you know, recognising them as an individual and really supporting them to transition as they adapt into this parenting role. So without time, you don't get the luxury to be able to do those things. And it's scary being a parent. It's terrifying. Um, and it's probably one of the hardest jobs you'll ever have to do. So being gifted the opportunity to work on this was, and I suppose 17 years later, I'm still here. So it's It's a pity value. we're on the radio because people, I can see a big smile on your face as you talk about yeah, it. it's amazing. But, but it's a difficult area to work in, in social work and social care and in the community is a difficult place to be. You're, you're very passionate about it. Why, why so passionate? You probably could have done other things with more money. <laughs> and you know what money doesn't always bring you happiness it absolutely definitely saves some needs but um, I get to work with the, the most amazing people who have got amazing potential and often you don't even see that potential they don't see that potential the people around them don't see the potential so we we are able to facilitate space for us to really sort of keep scratching the surface so they can really sort of dig deep and find that self-belief and self-love and I think that in itself is well paid. Do you know, like I can walk, I get up in the morning, I'm excited about my job. I go to bed and I'm excited about the next day. My husband only said the other night, do you not get um, bored of preparing for life? And I said, no, because I learn, as the family is learning, I learn. So as they grow, I grow. And I suppose that's the beauty of the programme is it's not static, community is not static. So the programme is not static. So the more we learn from the families, the communities, the stakeholders, the more this programme has the ability to keep growing. So, Are you shocked sometimes when you see family circumstances? Have you seen that in your own? In, I have, yeah. As you grow up? I mean, I don't know what your background is. Um, yeah. Because so, I know some people arrive, say school teachers arrive having gone to boarding school and having done placements in their various schools and go to schools in difficult areas and they're shocked yeah. at some of the things they see. Were you shocked? Um, I suppose my I would have been linked to social work as a child um, and oh. I suppose that's what got me into the work that I'm in. Um, I first applied for social work but I was actually too young at the time um, to do the to take the course uh, in uni. So I'd, and that's how I ended up falling upon youth work. Um, and I suppose I had the most amazing experience. I always remember him, his name was John. And I suppose, and I suppose his teachings has allowed me to bring it into my teachings with 
the families because he's seen me for me. He didn't define so me. He when didn't, you were young, younger When person. I was younger, yeah, sorry, my own experience as a child. So for me, because he created space for me to just be, in Liverpool, I'm Susan. So he created <laughs> space for uh, me to just be Susan and he uh, provided me with resources so I could do me um, my school. So I I loved that and I suppose I brought, I want, I've always brought that forward with me because I think no matter what you're faced with, like it's important to provide space for people to show up, be seen and be heard. Um, and I suppose, do I get shocked? I get sad that of the limit because of the limited resources. It makes me sad and frustrated that funding, the right funding, isn't provided. I suppose we're not expecting to be rich in these jobs, but the services. I mean, the families do deserve to have happiness and the resources that they need, and to provide them with the opportunities that they deserve. One of the worst things I think for people is when someone comes in to fix them. No, no, we don't fix. We don't fix. We, uh, I've got so much to learn from these families. Like I said before, it's about tapping into their potential. Like I can see their amazingness. I can see their potential, and often they can't. So I always use the analogy of holding up the mirror, allowing them to see what I see. Um, so really, that takes time. That takes, and that's the beauty of the program. It's five years that we can. We've got the time to work together. And sometimes you're taking steps, five steps forward, and you might have to take three steps back. But that's okay. It's like trying to. It's like dancing. And you learn the steps together, and you you learn so much about one another. But they they come to the table with so many strengths, so many capabilities. So it was about just bringing those things out. Um, one of the things we work by is advantage thinking. So identifying the things that someone else you may see as being quite a challenging um, situation to be able to navigate. They might be masters of it because they live it every day. Whereas they might be challenged by something like applying for a job or uh, retaining to school or applying for the driving licence. So we just transfer their, their, their excellence, their amazingness into areas that they deem to be a challenge. So nearly sort of using that coaching um, approaches to support them to, to be. Um, you're speaking so positively about it. Um, we're going to hear from somebody who's actually experienced it first hand. Yeah. Uh, do you want to put on your headphones there? Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, Sharon Ward is on the line. Good morning, Sharon. Hello, everyone. Hey. How are you? I'm good. Hi, how, how are you? Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very, you're very well. You, you've experienced the programme first hand, Sharon. I have. And I'm always, as soon as herself, I'm always happy to talk about because it really has been, even to this day, Sue is still in my life and still, I mean, and listening to her saying there where she just like takes a bar and shows us ourselves and like helps us find all them things about ourselves to go forward. She only did this for me a few weeks ago, literally in November. I was like, you know, so to this day, the impact of PFL is still in my life. But at the time I had moved up from Longford. I was pregnant with my first baby, only newly married, didn't have any family around me, kind of the resources, the facilities that we had at the time weren't great. Everybody kind of had a bit of imposter syndrome about approaching the council kind of for electricity and things. And then I just happened to come across PFL. Um, a niece of mine was like, I'm in this group. She's another fellow traveller person. Like, you know, so hearing her saying that she was a part of the group and it was kind of an okay. So I went over and Sue was my mentor. And from the very first second I met Sue, it was just, I was at ease 
I was supported. It was, I was handed a cup of tea and that was the first thing. I was like, oh, lovely. We're besties because she's a tea drinker as well. But um, she came <laughs> to my home. She just fitted right in. She educated me. I educated her about my community. Um, She's seen the kind of struggles we faced. She found me support for that. She encouraged me with everything. Um, And my child, my children, you know. And even well after PFL, I could always just call back up and ask for help or support or just any little things in life. But it was a lot of support and encouragement is two words that I use a lot um, when I I think about PFL because that's what it was all the time, the whole experience. Um, I have friends now that I met 15 years ago because, because of PFL. Sorry, I'm choking here. Oh, no, you're taking time. Bag, no. But I am. But um, yes, yeah, so I'm, I still have friends to this day that I met from PFL and um, I cherished them for life too. We were, like at that time, very, it was very professional. It was very PFL. And then it developed into a great friendship. And I really would love for the whole world to know the work. Sue is a very humble person and doesn't like to take credit for the work she does but wow. I know every single person that she's ever came across or has worked with her will say that she's changed their lives. Well it's, 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 it's going to be known that is 100%. It's going to be known internationally and now I can tell you. what. Tell, yeah. tell us some of the things you learned from preparing for life. So obviously as a traveller woman in our community your main role from your babies, you get married and you become a mommy and you look pretty all the time. That's your, you know, that's what you do. So, um, your one main role is being a mother Well, you're not really meant to be complaining you know like if you're having a bad day that, that's the only thing you have to do is keep your home clean and be a good mother so if I was having a bad day or I wasn't feeling whether a headache and I had no sleep the night before and Sue came to to see me I would offload and be like oh Sue I'm so tired and she was like so am I because I'm up the whole night with my child or I've just been talking to a mother who's hadn't had sleep for three days and she just never made me feel bad about having a bad day or she would like find solutions there was always solutions to everything you felt you know and as I said it was very hard for me to complain or whatever and a lot of our community Sue would notice herself a lot of the women in our community suffer with postnatal depression after we have babies because we have this fear and this kind of an, like if we complain I don't know we just we don't like the word social workers we don't like anything to do with anything outside of our community so it's kind of like you just you you know you get over get on with it yourself you get over it you're, that's just what you do where Sue kind of stepped in and said you know that's normal to feel a bit down in yourself that's normal to be tired today there was so much more to PFL it was like it was really a therapy in a way it was just support and finding ways and solutions and just saying like it's okay actually Sharon one of the things as well as I I think for for people and and I have some experience of this with with family as well is particularly when you have young children and you find yourself well especially coming from Longford as well there probably isn't many Longford people in in that part of Dublin absolutely Um, not but you got a chance to maybe meet other people in the community of course I did because PFL was right in the heart of the community so I had to walk over there and, and I'm a very chatty person so I'll tell you I make friends with a stone outside so every day every day I'd make a new friend or every time I had to go over to PFL I'd meet a new person and then I'd be like how are you Sharon? How are you Sharon? Yeah. So I, it made tons of friends like eventually actually PFL would have been the reason that I kind of would have started singing I suppose even in a way because meeting Sue would have introduced me to kind of the the crew in the church here and then I would have went over and 
started singing there every Sunday and made loads of friends. Like it was sister act. It was like every Sunday the concerts but, in the church, you know. So there was like so much that PFL opened so many doors, made me so many friends. You know, yeah. The other thing as well, I'm sure. For and people, also, breaking, sorry, I'm not stopping and talking. I just want to say there was some. I do, I do. I I, talk so I'm just going to get a cup of tea there. with a pinch of salt. I'm back in a minute. Yeah, you do that. And um, there's this big thing about there's this big fear of Darndale. And for me, a culture coming from the countryside, like where you see cows out your front window, you know, and then moving up into the heart of Darndale, and you hear all these things about Darndale and Darndale. And Sue brought me into the heart of Darndale, and honestly. It is the most beautiful community of people that you could ever meet. The, the lo- like, they're them neighbours you can knock into for a bit of sugar or something, milk or whatever. Like, everybody looks out for each other and she educates the world about that. Wow. She wow. literally lets them know Sharon, like, how good of people are there, you know? <laughs> I hate interrupting, but I have to ask, how are the, ki- how are the kids doing there? They're part of, they part of the, you were part great. of the programme. They're doing okay. They are, yeah, they're doing brilliant. Sue will tell you, come here, look, I put my whole heart into my children. They are my life. And that's why ah. I loved PFL so much because it was helping me to find even more ways to educate my children and more ways to make them smarter or more sociable for the world or blah, blah, blah. And I can definitely tell you the two of them are booming with confidence. Sharon, do you want to plug, your, do you want to plug your gig before you go? Oh, yeah. So I have a gig coming up in Padder Brown. <laughs> Sue will be there. I'm sure if you check out her social media, she'll be posting it all as well. I have a gig coming up in Padder Brown on the 9th of February. I'd love to see it full and I'd love to just See everyone, chat everyone, take uh, loads of selfies, make more brilliant. friends. Brilliant. Look, it's great. And thank you for taking the time to join thank us. You so thank you so much for having me. And we'll Sue, thanks again for everything. Thank you, babe. We'll have to get you your own programme. Sue, this programme, uh, look, there's loads more we can talk to you about, about, about life. And you shared a bit of your own life there, which I didn't know about. Um, this programme's going international. It is. It is. Um, we're getting a lot of interest. Um, so we went about two years ago now, we went over to Chicago um, because they were really interested actually in the way of preparing for life. They followed the study. So we start off as a randomised control trial and we've continued to follow those children. We're actually going back into the field now that the children are age 14. So they've been following this study. Um, I don't know whether you know the the US uh, well in terms of home visit but they're oversaturated with home visit programs so for us to be asked for us to do um, preparing for life over there is a huge Mm. a huge accomplishment Um, but we've learned so much it's been an amazing journey Um, yeah and they're lovely do you know so I think speaking to you there's there's really two sides to you you're very good at representing the programme and the acronyms and the funding and making sure you cover everybody and make sure everybody gets credit but I think what Sharon really alluded to there is that personal side that you have like visiting her going to her home which she emphasised going to her home which Mm -hmm. is really important being part of the travelling community maybe helping to break down stereotypes as well and integrating people who have something in common young mothers young families Absolutely. Do you see some of the children who were babies when when they're when when they were coming through the preparing for life program? Do you see them now as grown ups? Or they maybe not quite grown ups because you're quite young, but you see them maybe doing well in school or yeah, doing things they want to do. Maybe going travelling, doing something different. Yeah, we are. We're seeing like we. I suppose we always have an open door policy, so we're lucky that families like to gift us with their presence. So they'll always pop up. They'll always let us know. Like only there a few weeks ago, one of the mums popped up and said that, like that, her son had been in, had got his place in college. 
stage and um, she was panicking about and getting digs. So, yeah, so we're always hearing of the, the news and it's brilliant and we welcome that. And it's all different shapes and sizes. We're all different. So everyone's got different dreams and it's about just embracing those dreams. Brilliant. Look, Sue, thank you so much for joining us. The program's called Preparing for Life Programme. Uh, Sue Cullen is, what's your title, by the way? It is, it's a mouthful, <laughs> Implementation and Fidelity Manager of the Home Visiting Programme. Well, just from what Sharon said, it's a friend as well. Yeah. Thank you so much. Not at all. Thank you for coming in and thanks to everybody involved in, in this. Uh, Sharon's gig is in Padder Browns <laughs> on Friday the 9th of February. It starts at 6 and finishes at 5 12. It's part of Tradfest, actually. So yeah, it's brilliant. I know. So we might see you there. Yes, you will, hopefully. Thank you, Sue. <laughs> This morning, joining me on the line is Alex Kelly. She is currently in her business, Flower Child, which is a welcome distraction from some pretty big challenges she's faced in her life so far. Alex, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? I'm, you know, I'm in flying form. Whereabouts in the world are you? I'm on the Carlow Leash border, so... Controversial. Uh, technically living in Leash, but a Carlow address, so kind of confusing. Are you, are you in Greg Cullen as you go over the bridge? Um, Balak Moiler. Oh, because the, the border kind of weaves in and out, doesn't it? Or along along that yeah. line. So there's, there's people in Greg who are supporting Leash in the football. Yeah, it gets kind of controversial. It does. Once you cross that bridge into Greg, there'll be murders, as they say. <laughs> I went to college in Carlos, so I have a little bit of knowledge. I used to live in, in Governey Square, so it was actually at, on the bridge, on the barrow. So, ah, so I, know, yeah. I know a little bit about it. Tell us a little bit about Flower Child. Um, so it's a brand that started as a creative outlet during the pandemic. So I started just an online blog during um, 2021, talking about my lifestyle, my um, hobby, which is gardening. And um, now it has kind of organically turned into a whole company that um, I make um, and sell aromatherapy home fragrance products. And you've had a busy week this week. Yeah, so I was actually at Showcase Ireland um, from Saturday. I've never been at any like um, craft fair even or like exhibition. So kind of threw myself in the deep end going to the RDS um, being put on front of thousands of buyers and everything. But um, it was a successful event anyway. It has definitely helped grow the business. We got um, 14 new retailers um, over the three days. So wow. it definitely helped grow it. No, I've I've been to that showcase in the RDS, and there are row after row after row of people selling similar products. How do you how do you differentiate yourself and get people to to stock your product? Um, I guess with my product, a lot has to do with um, me standing behind it and um, portraying my character and my story. Um, but along with that, um, I think it's down to the quality of your product as well, and um, whether your display can stand out. Um, whether when people pick up your product, it's something that catches their attention. They go, oh, yeah, that is fit in my store. Or even some people coming over and saying, I know a store that that would be fabulous in, that they're passing me along to other people um, that might not have attended the event. But um, what we gathered from the event was you have to be present, you have to bring your own energy, and you have to connect with the buyer on like a human level. So you're you're not drop shipping. In other words, you're not getting products branded elsewhere and then bringing them in. But you're you're saying this is my product. I make it. I love it. And, yeah. and you talk about your story. What is? Tell me the the story. So um, I have lived most of my life with epilepsy. Um, so when I was 11 years old, I had my first epileptic seizure. Um, from there, it spiraled out of control 
um, and by the age of 13, I was having 40 and couldn't both of seizures every day. So my life got turned upside down pretty quickly. Um, but at the age of 13, I got um, diagnosed with cortical dysplasia. So this means that the cells in the frontal lobe of my brain were just going wrong. So it was creating a mass in my brain so they could operate on that and remove majority of the mass. Um, so when I was 13, that, that did help my quality of life a lot. Um, it obviously reduced the seizures uh, to a more manageable level so I could kind of continue on with life, return to school, return to education, things like that. Um, and I was only having nocturnal seizures. Um, that was all going amazingly. I Again, like I started the brand, I started uh, living my life to the fullest, um, threw myself into gardening. Gardening has always been my passion and my kind of like safe space. Um, so I got madly into that, started the blog, coming up to 2021, fast forward now, um, started the blog, started building my brand. Um, I even started working um, an internship in the college I studied in. So I also studied in SETU Carlow, the same as yourself. Um, but then in 2023, my life got turned upside down and kind of the rug pulled from under my feet. So the start of 2023, January 2023, I had a major um, convulsive seizure again. Um, but this one, it didn't stop. So normally seizures will last a couple of minutes, three to four minutes, um, and then stop on their own. They'll resolve their se- themselves. But um, this one didn't. So I was after being in a seizure for multiple hours by the time my family found me the next morning in my bed and um, still convulsing. So after that, I was um, obviously brought into hospital, brought down to Kilkenny and Teresa's, um, and then three days later, I regained consciousness. Um, so I was left with a brain injury after that. Now, brain injuries are amazing in the fact that the way they can heal themselves and recover themselves. So although I did have like a month of like complete fogginess and confusion, my memory was um, definitely damaged, but that all resolved itself um, over the next coming months. But what I didn't expect was for the seizures I had experienced as a child that spiraled out of control, they also all returned. So I was having um, up to 40 partial seizures um, every day yet again. This is in 2023. Um, And the doctors were struggling to control it. So I was being given all the emergency medicines to try and control my seizures to stop them. It had turned my life from like I was in 2022, uh, living kind of like my best life, so excited to enter 2023 and start to grow the brand and like become the entrepreneur I'd always kind of like dreamed of. Um, And just I didn't see living my life in this state. Um, But then 2023 came and suddenly um, I had to quit my um, job in the college. Obviously, I couldn't attend if I was having seizures all the time. Um, And suddenly I couldn't even sleep alone. I had to, um, my mum would have to stay with me at night if my friends weren't staying with me um, because somebody would have to be there to monitor my seizures um, and administer extra medication when I needed it um, to make sure I was safe all night and stuff like this. Um, But the main thing I didn't let happen was, I guess, um, my dreams fall away 
Um, so in between all the sickness, I was still trying to put as much focus as I could on continuing to, like, let Flower Child do its own thing and continue on. I guess it was a slower path than I expected, but to make sure I was putting the focus back on any piece of normality I could to um, continue to grow the brand. So I wasn't in the, the place of my dreams, should I say, but I was still um, in my spare time or in my, as I call it, my healthy time, I was um, simultaneously growing the brand in the background. Um, but then if we fast forward through 2023, bringing up to um, July, I was cleared for surgery. So that was amazing news for myself. Um, I was cleared for brain surgery. They would go into um, the original site where they'd done the first surgery um, and they were going to um, use brain mapping to determine where um, would be affected. So it was so close to my motor centre that they needed to use brain mapping to determine what was safe to operate and what wasn't. So um, I knew the risks going in. I knew I could lose power in my left side. Um, but at that stage, I was having so many seizures um, every day. I um, committed to um, the surgery and I said, no, it's worth the risk. Um, I need to regain my quality of life. Um, so I went for surgery. So in July, I had my first surgery of this year, of this past year. Um, and I woke up after surgery with no power in my left side. So that was that was scary to say the least to wake up to that. Um, I guess I felt a lot um, of frustration at myself to go, oh, you chose this and now you have no power in the left side. But the surgeons were so amazing in their reassurance that that would come back. Um, so over the next couple of weeks, I slowly did regain um, power in my left side. It is amazing how the body can heal itself. Like I said before, the way the brain can rebuild itself is just it still shocks me so um once those neural pathways started to regenerate my um arm began to or began to regain function um until it went into reverse so what happened was all the function i had regained started to reverse and i was losing more and more function every day um so obviously we immediately got in contact with um the doctors the surgical team and they said, okay, no, you need to come straight in. Um, so rushed back up to Beaumont Hospital, um, in for scans, in for blood tests, etc. And they realized I had swelling in the brain. So yes. I had to go in for a second surgery for a washout. So this is in August now. Um, I had to go in for another surgery. And they took samples um, of each layer as they went into the um, surgical site and then sent them on the pathology. So then in the next um, in the next um, few days, we got the results back to say, um, yes, I had an infection in my brain and I had meningitis. So then I was on high-dose antibiotics, IV antibiotics for 12 weeks after that. So my body was put through a lot in, during that treatment. Um, three times a day IV antibiotics. That was very harsh on the system. Um, and then after I had actually bad reaction to that, those antibiotics um, a couple of weeks in, that meant I had to switch antibiotics again. Now, I myself, unfortunately, I'm allergic to penicillin. So I had to, um, the, the antibiotics they could use obviously was limited. 
Um, so they had to um, find an antibiotic that would work with me, um, but also strong enough to treat the meningitis. So I had to quit um, my SSRIs, quit or like stop taking my SSRIs, which are used for um, depression and anxiety. Um, so they had to take me off them cold turkey. So I went through withdrawals from them along with the treatment for um, the infection itself. Um, so that was another kind of twist to the journey that took another toll on my body. Of course, Alex. But yeah. a couple of weeks later, I was I was home. I was back with my family. Wow. Um, I'm now seizure-free going into surgery. It was supposed to be um, seizure reduction. That was the goal. That was my expectation. I'm now living life seizure-free. This was like never a possibility in my eyes. Like oh. Things like driving. That was never on my radar. Starting a family, like um, the amount of seizures I was having, um, it wouldn't have been safe for me to like start a family. I couldn't play with my nieces the past year. Like I couldn't like pick up like my brothers had new babies. I couldn't hold them. There was things like that that were kind of like taken away. But then once I made the decision to go for surgery, trust the surgeons, trust their like um, their direction my life has absolutely turned back around but also improved tenfold. But you loved your business so much you, you were what did, what were you doing before surgery with the business? So yeah, before surgery um, so kind of what has got me through this past year of twenty twenty three, I decided when I started to notice my health deteriorating, I said, Okay, I'm going to live with epilepsy. I'm not going to let epilepsy define me. So I made a strong decision that um any time I could I would be either making my candles, which against my mother's better judgment, <laughs> obviously I was working with hot wax and having seizures. And <laughs> so she wasn't too happy about that, but she would supervise and support me through it. Um, I was either making stock or I was um, contacting retailers to try and get my stock on shelves. Um, so I knew I was going to, well, my aim was always to go for the surgery later in the year. So what I done was I spent all that time beforehand trying to build up stock, build up um, product. So that meant when I went in for surgery, um, my family could fulfill the orders, ship out the stuff, um, and my company would still stay on the trajectory it was. They must have thought you were mad, Alex. (laughs) Oh my God, (laughs) absolutely insane. They, they, They definitely thought I was insane. But it was my way of coping, see. It was my way of saying, like, this isn't over. This this isn't going to stop me. Like, I'm not going to take this line down. I'm still going to, like, my dream was always to have my own company. So I was like, no, it's not stopping my dreams. I'm still following them. So even when I was in hospital, I was in um, the epilepsy monitoring unit in Bowmount at one stage. And that's a place where they try and... um, you're put on an EEG machine so they can obviously see all your brain activity, but they the aim of that unit is to induce as much seizures as you can in obviously a controlled way, but to induce as many seizures as possible to get a very clear reading on where the seizure activity is coming from within your brain. Wow. But even during that time, so I was in there for a week, but um, even during that time, I had brought up certain like... Um, at that time was making all my own packaging. So I brought up all the labels that needed to be cut out and everything. And every day I was sitting up in that bed, even like simultaneously having the seizures. But I was like, no, nope, I'm I sorry for these it's... labels. I'm, 
I'm sorry I'm for laughing, but it's working. just <laughs> the vision of that of you seizing and working at the same time. And it's fair to say that everybody's epilepsy is different. Everybody, it's epilepsy is a, a real catch-all term for a number of different types of seizures, whether they be full tonic, colonic seizures, clonic seizures, uh, grand mal, or they may be milder seizures, medication, etc. So everybody experiences it in a different way. Completely, yes. It's so tailored to the person, like even different people I've met, I've never met somebody that has like the exact same symptoms as me and the exact same experience. It is so different and so diverse. I'm just thinking of people who are in the in the ward as well, <laughs> passing by saying, oh, that, <laughs> look at that poor girl cutting up cardboard. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, um, that, I just, that week I had 62 seizures and I still got my labels done. <laughs> Well, look, if anybody wants to know more about your amazing story and see the amazing garden and see a picture of your lovely Nana as well who helped plant that garden, you can go to flowerchild.ie and Epilepsy Day is on February 12th. Alex Kelly from Flower Child, thanks for joining us this morning. Susan McCann, you look fabulous. Thank you, sir. Early in the morning for me, but that's okay. (laughs) You're a real showbiz trooper. You drove Uh, drove down this morning. We drove down, uh uh-huh. We left home at seven. Yeah. But the traffic wasn't as bad as I thought it would have been. You know, Dublin sometimes can be... Oh, it can be torture. Bit, yeah, yeah, in, but you... no, it wasn't too bad. We came through the tunnel and... Oh, you see. Right, yeah. You know, that's that's the glamour. You came through the tunnel. The you tunnel. Didn't, you, that's you. You're like, no, no, we'll be taking <laughs> the tunnel. Who's driving? Yeah, Dennis. Dennis, the, the husband yeah, Dennis. How's yeah. Dennis? Dennis is great. He's, yeah, not a bother in him. He's hanging he's some in man. there. He's a quiet man, actually. He's very quiet. He doesn't really get involved in very much. He just leaves it all to me to, to do all the gossip. My the, father used to tell me he had a tongue for ten row of teeth. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm no bother talking, but Dennis is very quiet, yeah. Yeah, I remember, so we, we were, because you and I have worked together a couple of times, uh, and we've, I was on my holidays in Spain, yeah, and yeah, you were yeah, singing, and yeah. I, my job was to, to get you up on the stage. Yeah, and get that's you. it, to help me up on the stage. <laughs> I'm not getting well, any I, faster. Well, I, I said to you, I remember you getting you up on the stage. I said to you, uh, and I said, well, you know, being respectful and saying, yes. well, you know, you said, just give us a big old shove. Uh, that's exactly. That's it. And I was wearing high heels. And mind you, I'm not great in the high heels now. I used to be. Well, I'm looking at anymore. you now. You've got a black, a black fur lined yeah. uh, uh, jacket on. Yeah. You've got a beautiful blouse, gold blouse and kind of an equine thing. You've got the, the diamond glasses on. I've got on. it all going. Yeah. You've got it all going on. <laughs> Showbiz. My daughter, my, my daughter bought me this as a Christmas present, this cape. So that's why it's just lovely and oh, cozy and warm. Yes. You're wearing a cape. You have a yeah. Dennis driving you. You have a cape. And I've brain buckling my agent out, my booking <laughs> agent out in the in the city. Even entourage with you as well. I know. He's only twenty one twenty two and he I tell you something. Some boy. He's some boy for twenty two, that's uh, all I can say. Joining joining the <laughs> He's a great he's a great lad, yeah. But yeah. you've worked with some impresarios over the years. It's lovely to see, yeah. It's lovely to see the young people coming up to you and getting yeah. involved in country music. It's great for them. But it's good for, for you to business. show confidence yeah. in, in younger people as well. Oh, it is. You know, I'm in, I'm in my last String of Diamonds tour, he promoted it on it. Boys, he did a great job. Good. He really did. Yeah. Good. But so. I, I noticed I notice when, when, when I've worked with you and when we've been in cold function rooms next door to the main ballroom yeah like the the younger artists who are coming up as well they flock to you they oh, want to talk do, yeah, to you well I suppose it's a good thing really um, I, I'm, I, I, I have great you know I have great time for the young people because you know it's great to see them carrying what we worked hard to get to do I'm on the road nearly 50 years now um, and it wasn't easy when I started in 1976 the troubles were at their Heath in the north of Ireland and there were no southern bands coming in they were too scared to cross the border from the Miami got, were attacked 
and we we just worked we we worked all the northern dates that time and never give it a second thought really but when you think back to what we did you know yeah. so and we just kept country music going in the north myself and Philomena and Margot and you know we did and Big Tom and but so it's it's good now to see the young people you know following up and 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 taking the taking the reins sort can of thing. You talk about seventy six. Can I play a little bit of your first number one? Yeah. Have a listen to this. <laughs> you can have your weight on Jenny for Nashville's Johnny Pride. The boast of all their superstars, but for us it's Tom McBride. Why is it there that takes you back? <laughs> <laughs> Big Tom is still the king. Yeah. Big Tom and Big Tom is he, and he's still the king. He is still the king. He is still, still the, the king. king. If you're People a... talk about him. I sing that song at all my concerts. It's in, I have it as part of a medley of all my number one hits. And people just, the minute I start singing it, everybody sings it. Everybody still knows it. He was just, oh my God, he was just out on his own. He, he really was. He knew how to entertain a crowd and he was oh. a very quiet man Oh, as lovely well. man. Lovely, lovely man. I often say if it wasn't for him, I never would have been heard of. <sighs> That's the truth, really. Because I, that, you know, when I took that, I started in 1976 and I took a Christmas song out just to launch me uh, called Santa and the Kids. And that that song, Big Town Still the King, Michael Cummins changed it. It was a song about Bob Wills, I think, is still the king, and then Michael Cummins, he's a, he was a huge Big yeah. Tom fan. Yeah. He changed the words to I Big know Michael. Tom. Yeah, I remember yeah. Michael, yeah. And it, it had been laying in the office in Castle Blaney for apparently months, and that was that was the idea to get me in the road to record the song of Big Tom. He was massive, as you know. And sure, every Big Tom fan in the country bought it. So they must like with the herd because then they come out to hear me. <laughs> uh, but you have one so, of the, you, your voice, and forgive me now, I'm a fan, so this interview is going to be difficult because I'm fanboying over you now as well. Right. I'm smiling, a big smile on my face <laughs> as you're sitting in front of me. Um, your voice is timeless. You have that voice, that country voice, that I don't know what age you are when I'm listening to it. Well, I can tell you now, I'm 74. Well, you don't look it. And if I live till the 26th of February, I'm 75. Nah, the big 7-5. The big 7-5. <laughs> But so I'm not too, I'm not doing too bad. Sure, I'm not like for for an old dog like me. <laughs> well, you look pretty good to me. Well, thank you. And you're singing this just as yeah, good as ever. Thank God. Uh, funny I, I, when I was when I've been in recording the, the, this single, uh, we were just, just we were just saying how uh, how how easy it was for me to sing again. I, as you know, I haven't been well. Um, well people for, people listening might, may not know, and I didn't yeah, want to ask you that. But I know. If you want to, if you no, want to but, maybe tell people. Uh-huh. I was diagnosed with bowel cancer in August, the beginning of August. And, um, yeah, I find it, I find it very emotional to talk about it, actually. It's an awful, it's an awful shock to be told you have cancer. You know, because it was the last thing in my mind when I, my bloods are very low. But it was the last thing that I thought of. I just thought it was run down. You know the way you think. Your age. I was after doing a, well, it was a, 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 tour, a short sort of a tour but with with um, Derek Ryan. And I thought, well, there were, there were some long journeys in it. And I just thought I was tired all the time. And I just thought it was because I was doing too much. And I thought, well, at 74, you're entitled to be tired. You know, so, so 
I went to the doctor with something different. I didn't know it was my blood. I went to the doctor with with a, a, a complete um, with my right hand. I was losing the power in my two of my fingers and my right hand, and I thought I was taking a stroke. <laughs> and it wasn't a carpal tunnel in my wrist or something. So I don't know what it's a nerve thing in yeah. it. So it was nothing to do with my hand. But I hadn't been to the doctor for uh, umpteen years probably because <laughs> I never had any reason to go and the doctor there she said I'll just take your bloods when you're in season it's that long from you've been here so she took my bloods on a Monday and a Tuesday morning I was called back in again and that's the way and then it all started you know getting all the tests done and um, eventually they got to the bottom of it found a tumour on my bowel so I was taken in that was August and I was taken in on the 4th of September uh, to Craig Alvin and operated on and they said that they wouldn't know whether it was uh, well it hadn't spread to my lungs or my liver so that was good um, but this, there were lymph nodes around it and they didn't know whether it had spread to them or not but they wouldn't know until they got the test back from they sent it all away when they took it so lucky enough they got it back and it hadn't spread at all oh. it was just Confined to my to the part of my colon where it was, and it didn't it didn't spread. Luckily, I was. Had I not gone to the doctor with my fingers, I would still be not knowing that I had a tumor. And, and you know, to, it was okay, just I was just so lucky. I don't want to ask you too purient questions no. or too personal, but you, you you know about you didn't have any symptoms that no, you knew of. None, none, and you know you the the say that you do, but I did not have any symptoms. None, and. My bowel test that we get in the north, you get them sent out to you every two years, and it was it was clear. And you had done that test. And I, oh yeah, I had done that. This so comes to you in the post. It's a yeah, kit. that's right. Yeah, and it's and very it's simple. A, very simple. It's a very simple test Look, to do. It, and anybody out there that's that's listened to us this morning, please do it because I'll tell you, it can. It's one of the. You know, the doctors were saying to me when I was in the hospital, is it's one of the cancers that that is it's curable or you know if it's gotten time the chances of you getting yeah. getting a full recovery is good but if it's not got it's a silent if it's not gotten time it's you know yeah. Yeah. it can travel um, but th- I didn't even need treatment so which is great no but uh, they're keeping it close I so you, don't need, you didn't need chemo no no I didn't and again no. personal question you didn't need a bag no no just where it was and my bowel, it, it it was just confined to the one area and they just took it all away. In fact, the consultant told me afterwards that he took more away than was needed, but he took it away because he was wanted to make sure that there was nothing left. They talk about the margins of the yes, tumor. Yes, yes. You know. So, uh-huh. So that, so... so and, and how long were you in hospital? I was in hospital for five days, just... Well, yeah. I mean, this day and age, five days is quite long. Yeah, you know, yeah. we were, people go in for operations throughout the I next know. morning. Yeah, I know that. And then you're but waiting on results as well. You're waiting I, for the... I, I'd wait. That was that was the hardest part. When, when I come home, you know, I, when I was leaving the hospital, um, it was Dr. McElvana and he said, do you want to come down and see me or will I ring you with the results? And I said, oh, just give me a call. And I was joking with him. I said, the less I see you, the better now after what you've done. And he was joking. He's a very nice guy. And um, he rang me the following time. I was released. I was... I was home on the Thursday and the following Thursday the results were in he rang me and he said he had good news that I didn't need treatment that he talked to the team about the whole thing and he said I didn't need treatment so then I had my review 
six weeks later and he, he um, yeah, he was very pleased with me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going back in again there on the 6th of February for more tests to make sure that I'm... There. So, you know, even it, even it did come back, they're keeping a very close eye on me, you know, so... You must have been saying a few prayers. I des- certainly did. I have great faith in Padraig Pio, the greatest faith of all times. There's a wee man in Belfast, his name is Brenton Rogers. Oh, he has relics. He has oh, relics. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd need to be here all day to talk to you about him. He's just, he's a wee saint. That's what he is. Which, which him did and, you get a relic? Did you get? Yeah, he blessed me with the with the relic that he had. There's only apparently he's the only man next to somebody in Rome that has this relic. And it's a Padre Pio. Padre Pio relic, yeah. And um, a friend of mine from Newry, Brian Meehan, he's great faith too. He's he's got lots of relics of different. I just have. I wouldn't be. I suppose I wouldn't be the best Catholic in the world. I wouldn't be running to mass every day of the week. But I've great faith. You know, and um, I think you know what a time with that prayer is. It's great. It was great for me, and it still is. I'm very, very grateful and very thankful that I'm as well as I am. You know, so I'm so glad to be able to get back to be doing my string of diamonds tour again. It's just look, you're straight back in plug, and I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I know, but I really no, am. I, I could have been delighted I, that it, you're back on the road. I could have been off the road for all times. Yeah, you know, because yeah. had I, I and had we've a, seen it with friends of ours as well. Yeah, I had to cancel all the dates, as you know. I was on Jimmy's trip to Spain. I was on Declan Nerney's trip. I had a cruise, Joni Madden cruise, and I had to cancel them all. Mm. Because now at this stage they were doing tests, but I, I had to be there for when I was, you know, if they posted the my letter out today that I had to come in tomorrow or whatever, I had to be, I yeah. couldn't, I couldn't work. And the same would be now if I was having treatment, I couldn't go back to work. So, you know, it's just, I'm very grateful that, that I'm able to do it, and, you know. And- conversation with Dennis when you got the diagnosis because Dennis, oh, Dennis Dennis had his own challenges as well he had with his heart he did indeed yeah but he's as tough as old boots Dennis you know <laughs> <laughs> he he's um he's good he's a he has a defibrillator in, in oh. the, you know the two of us were talking about two crocs like <laughs> I'd have said to him, they would be sitting at the fire, you know, and I'd have said, good Lord, like, what are we like? You know, it's the truth. But anyway, we're... But you're, you're to, I, th- I think you told me you're together since you're like 16 or Yeah, so. 16, that's right. And you're still together. Yeah. And you never had a fight. Oh, no, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you I know who won. <laughs> <laughs> never had a fight on, Dave. But, but anyway, when, we look, look at, we just, we... You, but like everybody, you have your arguments and all that. But Dennis would never argue back. Dennis would be getting your nerves. You know, he just wouldn't answer you. I would, I'd be giving off stink and he just goes about as if over his head. doesn't even hear it. But anyway. You and I were, we were in Tarmelinas a couple of years ago when yeah. we were on Jimmy Buckley's. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was on holiday and you were working. And uh, I can remember, one of my memories of you is sitting around the pool, um, just in the shade, having a glass of water. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> thanks for that. And the, the one thing, the, the thing that you, the first thing that you tend to talk about is not about music or business. It's about your family. Yeah, I, you know, I'm really lucky. Really lucky. I have five lovely grandchildren. I, the eldest is eighteen and a half now. Oh, okay. God Almighty, Sinead. Of course, Sinead sings with me now. I saw her with you on on, on, on uh, Dan, uh, Daniel's program. That's right. Oh, that's, she was great. Ah, uh, she is. Um, 
my that's my son's daughter, uh, Sinead, and he has another girl, Emma, and Emma does a she plays the piano and she sings, but she won't sing. You know that sort of oh, sorry, you no. know. I know. I've one of them as well. And then yeah, but then Linda, Linda's girl, Laura. She, what a what a singer. She's she's just a great great singer. She really is. But again, she she she. She came. She did a concert, one of the concerts with me last year. But she was a bit shy. But she's not as shy now as she used to be. She's coming sixteen, so she recorded with me. We recorded um, that ABBA song. Um, now, my mind's gone. It'll come back to you. Uh, yeah, um, but we recorded together, and we we're going in on Saturday, and she's recording a song for a new album that I'm taking out for March for the tour. Okay. Um, so it's like a family album. Oh. Sinead's on it and Laura will be on it. Where are you? Rec- where are you recording that? Down and up the north, up with 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 Jared Dorn. Oh yeah, up in the north, and we're we're doing that as a family album. And I was in. I have another single. Derek Rain wrote me a song. He's a great songwriter. Oh, oh fabulous! So I was in with Jonathan on. What day was I in with Jonathan? It's Jonathan Owens. Jonathan yeah. Owens on Wednesday. Was it Wednesday? Yeah, Wednesday. So I was recording. So I'm busy, busy recording, but. So the, the, I'm looking forward to the family album because it's it's going to be, you know. Do you know I have a little clip of Sinead singing with you? Yeah. Would you like to hear it? I'd love to hear it. This is um, Good Old Days? The... Good, uh, Sinead's... No, uh, grandma. It's called Grandma Tell Me About the Good Old well, Days. Well, I'll play this. I yeah. hope it's the right one now. Yeah. Let's see. It is, I bet. Love is really She's a good singer. Yeah. There she is. Tell me about the good old days. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she's a real strong country yeah. line in it as well. If you, yeah. That, that. She, oh, she has. She's, a, you know, sometimes if you close your eyes, you think it was me that was singing. She's very, you know, she just, uh, as well, it's the family thing again, you know. Yeah. The, the harmonies, there's nothing to beat family harmonies. Yeah. Nothing. They have a terrible way of calling They call it blood harmony. Is that what they call it? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I never heard of it. Blood harmony. I never heard of it. So it's called, it's l- Grandma Good Old Days is yes. the name of the track yeah, if anybody's looking the, for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. She has a beautiful voice. And she she's has. she going to be on the tour with you? She is. Mm-hmm. You're put, you're, uh, she's going on the road. She's going on the road. She's Well, actually, you know, when we say she's going on the road, she's doing her A-levels this year and she's got, she'll be... Please God, going to Queens if she gets her marks. Her and Josh, L- Linda's boy, he's studying... He's going to study history, and she wants to do medicine. Now, Brendan, your son is in the haulage business, and he's in the haulage. Linda's yeah, a teacher. He, he's Linda's te- a teacher. Yeah, music teacher. Yeah, you were telling Linda's, me about Linda's. She, she's a she, in the music department. She's she's off at the minute. She took a year out, uh, yeah. just a, a career break for her youngest child's doing Tom. <laughs> Tom, the boss of our family, he's doing. <laughs> He's doing uh, his transfer to go to, you know, to go to the grammar school. Yeah. So she has she took a year out to look after him. And lucky if she did, because she's looking after her mommy now as well. I call her my home help. She's in <laughs> since I had my so you surgery. Could see, you can see it's perfect timing. really. Yeah, it was. It was. And she didn't even, you know, there you go. I say there was somebody praying for me. Who, yeah, she she didn't know I was going to be sick when she, when she took her year out uh, career break. She took it for Tom, really. 
We're getting a lot of texts in, by the way. Ah, that's good. Great to hear Susan McCann this morning. Lovely memories of her playing the Rose Club in Moat years ago from from Betty in Offaly, the Rose Club. Uh, Wishing Susan the very best of health. This is a a lovely, thoughtful interview from her. Isn't that nice? Thank you so much. And lots of people complimenting you on your your looks. Oh, my God. And how nice you are to people after the show. Oh, thank you. Because you hang around to see them. I mean, those people come out to see me and I think it's the least you can do is hang around to have a chat with them afterwards. We that's, I, uh, that's in fact, that's the that's the funny part of the show. That's the great part of the show for me, talking to the people afterwards. You get great, you, you know, Ersinead, when she's with me, she just, she thinks it's hilarious. <laughs> that, you know, there's the people that see me like 40, 50 years ago nearly. I just say, Granny, that's unbelievable, you know. And they bring out their, their own daughter, maybe your son, and their grandchildren. So there's yeah. three generations we've come to see me now, you know. Yeah. But, but so it's lovely. It's but as I say, with the younger artists, you might do a guest spot. We call it a spot. You might yeah. do be a guest artist with one of the younger artists. Yeah, like Derek or Nathan. Or yeah, I did. Well, I did. I did a guest on 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 Derek's show from started in January and it went right through to March of last year. And Philly does the same. And yeah. Sandy and we see. Yeah, well, you know, we're not. Yeah, it's you know, it's nice to be able to. It's nice to be that the young ones want you on their show. Absolutely. You know, so why wouldn't they? And then I know this is the thing, Nick. And then again, it's it's only it's only fifty or twenty minutes. A lot easier than doing a full show. <laughs> but this uh, your your tour now. You, you're going you're going all over the country. Oh, the I tour. am. Yeah, I'm going. Yeah, I start. I don't. I start in the Carrickdale. That's beside me. Oh yeah, on the it's literally on yeah, the border, isn't yeah, it? That, it's I think, on one, the I think one half of it is in what, the north, and one half is in the south. That's Just exactly. Almost, yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm I. I, I because then I'm not doing, I'm not like doing night after night after. I couldn't no, do and, that. And in the old it's days, you couldn't that, go home. Now, no. would you go home most nights? Oh, I go home all the time. I did in the old days too. Yeah. Because my children were so young when I started. So Brandon you, you was only three road. and Linda was a year. So some of the, I know a lot of it was dancing. So some it was of all da- dances, yeah. Some of the dances started at 12 o'clock. That's exactly right. All the dances started at 12 o'clock. 12 o'clock? And my dawn to two. I seen me sitting, you know, I remember one night being in Donegal and the snow was thick on the ground. And we were playing in Terman. And there's a guy from Donegal, he, he's a great friend of mine, Hughie McDaid. And Hughie came to all my dances. In fact, he met Marie at one of my dances and they're now married and married for 25, I don't know how many years they're married, but there, there was an anniversary uh, party there not so long ago. But Hughie um, was sitting talking to me at the end of the night and I was waiting for the boys to pack the gear up. I didn't have my own car with me because it was too frosty. And so I was waiting for the boys that were packing up the gear and this was like, Quarter past four in the morning after us getting tea after the gig and talking. And Kieran McDinn says, where are you staying the night? And I said, we're not, we're going home. He says, going home? And I said, yeah, he says, in his real Donegal accent, she says, he said, this is it's a Tramps game, sir. <laughs> 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 and I, I, and I said, I said, you can say that again. It's a, it's a Tramps game, sir. He said, I remind Kieran about it all the time, every time I talk to him. <laughs> he's, a, he's a great guy a great fan a great great friend as well well here's the fan from London great to hear Susan this morning I remember seeing her so many times in the Galtymore one of the true yeah. greats yeah that's from John in, in London uh, wishing her good health and happiness she's a beautiful singer uh, enjoying the interview with Susan um, listening here uh, to Susan my sister adored her Elaine oh. she passed away at 21 with cancer and she so loves Susan uh, oh. maybe on the concert she might sing There's an Isle in a little isle in Ireland she adored oh that yeah 
Oh, I must. Well, I'll have to learn that because that's. It's a long, long time for my sang that song, but I'll keep that in mind because I'm rehearsing yeah. now. For, maybe Elaine for might it. on you've you a website. Maybe she might let you know where, where she'll be at what a what yeah. concert. So yeah, you can do something. That'd there. be great. Yeah, you recorded six hundred and twenty-five songs. I read. Uh huh. That's a lot of songs. I have a whole lot more now since that was done. <coughs> yeah, I, I have ten albums in Nashville alone. I know. Yeah, yeah. You, like you I, had a career. You have a career in the states, in Scotland, in in all yeah. over Britain, yeah, all over the, Ireland. Uh-huh. Like, but I haven't been working. No, but there you for, do. But, but, but I, did, oh, I did over the years. But I'm going back. I'm going back to England and Scotland next this next year. Not like at the beginning of next year. And I'm had, going back. Are you heading to Spain to any of the? the I'm trips? going. Of course, I am. They wouldn't. They, I couldn't do it out. <laughs> going down to Spain for the crack. God, those those gigs are great, aren't they? Shh, they're, they're quiet and nothing happens. And you'll be quiet now. Oh, don't be telling no, stories. I don't know. Whatever happens in Spain stays in Spain. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't tell tales. But you know what? The cracks are uh, always the cracks great. Mighty. They're well, great. It's just like people don't realise. Like, there's dance lessons eleven to twelve. That's right. Dancing at the pool. So dance lessons eleven to twelve. Yeah. A guy called Paul McCahill, who I work with a bit. Yeah. One, two, three, forward, back. Two, uh, three, three, forward, <laughs> back. Turn to the side. Turn to the left. Turn to I the know, side. I know. I know. And this, and he's a great singer and a great guy and a great dance teacher then there's dancing 12 to 2 at the pool right then people go off and do whatever they want for the afternoon and then there's kind of dinner downstairs 7 to 8 and then you're into the ballroom for 9 people yep. have their seats because only right. the people on the trip are allowed in and then 9 to 12 is the full ballroom That's with right. all the guest artists and then you go to a small room 12 to 2 for more I dancing know. I know lads that. come on I know, unbelievable. And then if you're feeling fit, you can go up the street and uh, and stay there <laughs> to the six. To the nightclub. And I've seen you there. No, 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 that's a long time ago, but I wouldn't be at it now, that's for sure. And, and you still, the, the dancers are, are still doing well, but the concerts are doing, no, like the yeah. Amigos no, are well, selling well, I, out. I haven't done Mike dances, Shane, in, in years, really. Yeah. I don't, the music has changed in the dances. The music has changed. I wouldn't, be, funny, I was speaking to, to Brian Buckley about that, that. He was telling me all about the different the different names on dances now. I wouldn't even know them. I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't be able to do a dance now. The slush and a... The slush, that's it. <laughs> and there's something else dance. What, what it's like a line dance, isn't it? Uh, the, the, the slush and the... Oh, there's another dance too he named to me. I can't remember the name of it now. Um, but, yeah, but, uh, I know, I just do the concerts, and you know. But you I've just been doing that for the last... Five or six years. If people you know. want to find out where you'll be, susanmccann.com. That's it. That's updated. It's a very mm-hmm. nice website, by the way. I was looking at it this morning. That looks oh, good. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, you are looking fabulous. Well, thank you. And I've just thought of the name of the song, Fernando. Hang the on. The ABBA uh, song. Can you hear the drums? Can you hear the drums? That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have, your new, I have your new single here. It's called yeah. I Wish It Would Rain. Oh, I know. So oh. is that, you want to hear the crack in the studio when I was like, You wish it would rain. <laughs> I wish it would stop raining. <laughs> It's a great song though. It's a lovely song. An old Nancy Griffith song. Oh. Lovely. Susan, I could talk to you all day. I know. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, I just... well. well, I can tell you we could read text here all day. They're coming in by the bucket load Oh, for you. thank so, you so much for that. That's lovely. So and this is Susan McCann. String of Diamonds is the name of the tour. Yeah. SusanMcCann.com.